Amen. How many of you are ready to get into the Word of God tonight? You know, I got to tell you, even in the middle of a red-hot summer when so many people are gone, it's such a blessing to see this many people here on a Wednesday night after a long day at work just to hear the Word of God. It tells me that we're healthy because healthy people are hungry. Amen? Well, let's pray. We're going to let you be seated, and we're going to go through Colossians 3 tonight. Father, thank you that you are the God of the Word, and you gave us the Word of God. Nothing renews us like your Word. And we pray that you will speak to us, renew our minds, erase the old way of thinking, replace it with a new way of thinking. And thank you, Lord, for good ground that the Word is falling on tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. And um, this Sunday... I'm going to stay with this wisdom thing just a little while longer. This wisdom series, we're going to talk about the wisdom of a forward focus, not getting hung up in your past, because everybody's got one, right? Everybody's got a past. How many of you have a few skeletons in the closet? I don't want to know. Just think about it. You need to be here Sunday. All right. Now, Christ in Colossians, we're going to look tonight at the old man's ruin. Thank God that the old man was crucified. So let's look at what the Word of God says. We saw last time that if we died with Christ from the way the world thinks and acts and the evil spiritual powers of this world no longer hold us, we are not to allow the world to bring us into its bondage again. Once you've been set free, stay free. Okay? Now, he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, make sure that you stay free. And you don't get tied up again in slavery to the law or to anything. So the law can also include man-made rules. And we call those man-made rules religion. Religion. Religion will bind you, tie you, chain you, take your joy away from you. Because what religion puts on you is man-made. But now... The rules and regulations that bind you in a way that is contrary to the will of God. That's what religion does. Okay? And I, thank God I was not raised in a religious church. I wasn't raised in church at all. But having not been raised in church at all, I'm thankful I wasn't raised in a religious one. Because I didn't have to unlearn a bunch of religious rules and regulations. But some of you did. Things that uh, they put on you that God didn't. Now the legalists of Paul's day, the legalists that practiced legalism... We're all about touch not, taste not, handle not, pertaining to things that are no longer relevant to the New Testament believer. Okay? I said it last week and I'll say it again. You can eat a Big Mac without sinning. I'm not suggesting you go eat one because there's all kinds of that, cholesterol and all that, but I'm saying it's not a sin. I'll take it a step further. You can go have a bacon sandwich tonight. And you did not sin. You didn't sin against God. You might have sinned against your body, but you didn't sin against God. Now, that wasn't true in the Old Testament. They couldn't do it because they were under this law. But Paul said, now, as long as you pray over it and bless it, and this is great from the mission field, as long as you pray over it and bless it, you can eat it. Okay? Now, the Christian has died with Christ and has also been raised with Christ. Paul is absolutely emphatic 
that since these two things have taken place, we are to live in the reality of a resurrected life. The more I read, and I've been reading the Bible a very long time, but if you get into Paul's letters, the, the letters that the Holy Ghost used Paul to write, you will hear over and over and over and over and every which way but loose, you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you are risen with Christ. You are to live a resurrected life. I mean, you can't get near the man that you don't read that. Over and over again, in all of his letters, it's, it's repeat. Now, first, Paul's going to deal with, in light of the fact that we've been risen with Christ, say with me, I am risen. I'm, risen. I'm a resurrected person. You are. Do you know that? Now, first, being resurrected people as resurrected as was Lazarus. Well, Pastor, he got up from the dead. The dude was dead. Hey, you know what? You were dead. Your body was walking around. Your heart was ticking. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when you got saved, you were resurrected from the spiritual land of the dead and transported into the land of the living. You are a resurrected person. Now, being a resurrected person, he's going to deal with our affections and our attention. Read with me chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You see that word set? That's an act of your will. You set your heart on something. You set your mind on something. It's an act of the will. You are not a victim. You have a choice to set your heart and set your mind where they land. Now, your heart is the seed of your affections. What you love, what you desire, what you cleave to, where your affections are. Your mind is the seed of your thought life. What you ponder, meditate on, think about. Both of those things are subject to what you set them on. And that's another thing Paul repeats over and over again. By faith, putting on Jesus, setting your mind on certain things. Look what he said in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, do what? Meditate or think on these things. Well, that's an act of the will, isn't it? Your mind is going to go where you set it. That's Paul's message. A lot of people are saved in their inner man, but they're not very sanctified in their mind. And see, we've got to, once our inner man is raised from the dead, then Paul says, now get your mind to getting renewed. And if you're going to do that, you've got to think of whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, any virtue, any praise. Think, set your mind on, meditate on, mull over, ponder these things. Well, that's the Word of God. If you want to keep your mind clean, keep it on the Word. We've got to keep our mind clean, everybody. We're in a filthy, dirty wretched, sin-stained world. The only way to keep your mind clean, how wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your word. Set your mind on the word of God. Now, 
Next, Paul addresses the old man of sin that was crucified with Christ. First, he is ruined. Well, I like that. You know why you got in trouble? Your old man was inherited from Adam. That is your old sinful nature. Nobody had to teach you and I how to sin. We knew how to do it all by ourselves, didn't we? Our parents weren't ever really trying to teach us to be bad. The challenge of any parent is to teach their children to do what is right because they have a natural inclination and bent to do what is wrong. That's the Adam nature. Now here's something that is constantly repeated in the Word of God, in Paul's writings particularly. The Holy Ghost used him to get this truth over to the church. He said, listen, that old man, here's a cross right here. Let's just pretend this is the, the vertical part of the cross. The old man was crucified with Christ. Not theoretically, but actually. We're not talking lofty theological truth here that, that is not actually real in practical life. No, our old man, says Paul over and over again, was crucified with Christ. God didn't want to rehabilitate the old man. He wanted to kill the old man. So he crucified the old man. And that's a truth that I want to tell you that most Christians, I am sure, don't fully grasp. Because if we did, we would live crucified lives, and a lot of us don't. Because you've got to reckon that this is true. Now watch this. What does he say in verse 3? Read it with me. For you died. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you died. And it was a great death, too. I remember hearing a guy preach one time, God wants to kill you. Well, I didn't know what he meant, and that put the fear of the Lord in me in a major way. All right, God wants to kill me, but no, what he was saying is God wants to kill. He crucified your old sinful nature, and that's a fact. Who died? The old man of sin. We inherited from Adam. That's who died. He died having been crucified with Christ. The old man is the man we used to be. The new man is what we are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old man has passed away, and, the, and all is become new. All right. The old man is what we are by natural birth. The new man is what we are given when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're in sin. Born twice, you're forgiven. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're walking in the old man. Born twice, you've got a new nature. That's why Jesus said, you've got to be born again if you're ever going to see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born twice. So he says, it's a fact. You have a new man. The old nature does, though, remain. Listen carefully to me. God does not convert the old nature. He doesn't condone the old nature. He doesn't rehab the old nature. He crucifies it. Romans 6, 6, can you read it with me? Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should what? No longer be slaves of sin. Do you believe that? If the old man is on the cross, you can't crucify yourself. You can't do it logistically. Somebody has to crucify you. So who crucified the old man? In you and me? God. Where did he do it? On the cross. So if we live according to the dictates of the old man, we're letting him down off the cross, and God does not take him off the cross. We're letting him down off that cross. Still it remains, that is the old man, lodged in our innermost being. It took me a long time to understand this. The old man, though crucified, how many of you know he can raise his head? Come on. How many of you know he can raise his head? And, and if you don't walk in the truth of the Scripture, he can dominate you. We triumph over the old man only so long as we reckon him dead. So when the old man raises his head and says, you know, it's been a long, hard, hot day. Why don't you just pull over right over there, you know, that place you used to go. You're on the way home. You deserve a break today. Just pull over and say, just go off that exit and go on that place you used to be, that bar or that dive or whatever. Go on and pull in. God will understand. And, and you know good and well that if you go in there, you're going to be in trouble. Who's talking to you? Well, the devil is, but what's he wanting to use? The old man. And what do you say? Verse 11, read it with me, Romans chapter 6. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what you say. You say, I'm crucified. I'm dead. It really does take a while to get these, okay, Pauline concepts that the Holy Ghost gave him. It takes a while to get them from here to here. But God wants us to know, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to beat it like a drum here on Wednesday nights, because we've been going over this a lot through the last weeks and months, that we are dead and we are resurrected. The old man that got you in all that trouble, the old man that, that had such a tendency towards sin, has been crucified with Christ. And now you are a resurrected man or resurrected woman. Walk in newness of life. As far as God is concerned, the old man is already dead. Yet we are sadly aware that it's still there, warring against our new nature. Oh yeah, he'll war against you all the time. Nevertheless, let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter whether or not the old man feels dead, because there are days he's going to feel very much alive. Paul gives us the fact. Say it with me. You are dead. His own awesome testimony rings out in Galatians, one of my favorite passages. I want you to read it with me like you're the one preaching. Ready? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that verse. Now that was Paul's testimony, and you take those first six words. I have been crucified with Christ. 
over and over and over again, the Holy Ghost uses him to write those words. Now next, Paul tells us how we should live in light of the awesome truth of our having been crucified with Christ, died with Christ, and raised with Christ to live a resurrected life. He says in verse 5 of chapter 3, Colossians, Therefore mortify your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now Paul's about to meddle with us. He's getting specific. He says, I'm talking to resurrected people. Now here, let me just tell you what you need to be killing. Mortify means kill it. Kill it. What an ugly list this is. Amen? And that list, and it's not exhaustive, but it perfectly pictures the exceeding sinfulness of our sin. Let's look at some of those words. Fornication. Pornea. Uh, phonetic spelling I put up there just so you can see it. Pornea. This word provides the root of the English terms pornography. Pornographic. We get it from pornea. And it means to sell off. It's a selling off or surrendering of sexual purity. Promiscuity of any and every type. Now, here's what a lot of people don't understand about fornication. It's not just talking about two single people uh, being sexually active. It covers all sexual sin. Homosexuality, lesbianism. There are certain sexual sins I don't even want to name that it covers. It's talking about the whole kit and caboodle, all of them, are wrapped up in that word, pornea. Okay? What does he say? He says, instead of letting your old man be manifested in those sins, he's crucified, so in light of that truth, kill it. Man, I tell you, we're going to have to edit out all this clapping and jumping and shouting. We, we have to do it from time to time. See, the, the, the church it has been so corrupted by the world that you got people all the time like shacking up. They'll come into church, say, oh, you know, uh, we love the Lord, hallelujah, lift their hands, and, and, and uh, we're born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. But then they're shacking up and they've never, never been married. And you say, have you never been married? And they say, well, I mean, what's a piece of paper? And that right there shows me they have been brainwashed by the world. Right there. Because it's not just a piece of paper. You've made a covenant before God. And, and, and uh, I mean, I could go on that. I don't have time with that tonight. But, but catch the meaning that whenever, whenever we fall into some kind of sexual sin, we're selling ourselves off, uh, selling our purity, selling something precious. And you know that I don't condemn you. Listen. We're in such a, a, just a demonized, filthy, sexually depraved culture that it comes at us from every angle, constantly. And that's why I don't understand how you could possibly walk with God if you were not rooted in a local church, living in the Word every single day, around other believers who are sharpening you, because this is a battle. And here's one of them. Paul says, look, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that you have within you the ability, because you're a crucified, resurrected person, to kill it. 
Now, let's go on. Uncleanness, that just means moral impurity. Inordinate affections. What's an inordinate affection? That is strong feelings or emotions which are not guided by God, like consuming lust. You see, in our culture, we put a huge premium on feelings. And we say, well, if I'm feeling it, then it's got to be right. Can I give you some news tonight? You can feel something real strong, and it'd be so wrong. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's right. Wasn't there a song, How Can It Be Right If It Feels So Wrong? Was that a song? How Can It Be Right If It Feels So Wrong? How Can It Be Wrong If It Feels So Right? Let me answer the writer of that song. It can be real wrong no matter how right it feels. Watch this now. Evil concupiscence. Well, I get, a, I get an A for just saying that word. I heard one radio preacher, concupiscence. Get, get out of that concupiscence. It wasn't me. It's concupiscence. What does it mean? Passionate desire, also not guided by God. It means to be focused intently on an object of lust with the thought, if I get the chance, I will. Now, let me show you something Jesus said and clarify this. You know, Jesus used the same Greek word for lust in Matthew 5, 28, when he said something that I don't think I've ever known a Christian brother that didn't stumble over this verse and say, how in the world can you live that? But here's what Jesus said, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, most men read that and say, well, I'm done. I'm done. But let me tell you what the word lust there means. It means if I get the chance, I will. That's very different from noticing an attractive woman and going, didn't God do a good job? <laughs> See, God, God doesn't make a man not a man or a woman not a woman. You can't, you can't get to the place where you see an attractive member of the opposite sex and go, oh, I'm dead to Christ, hallelujah. I've... No, you can say, huh, didn't God do a good job? But it doesn't mean you're saying you're honing on them, looking at them, staring at them, lusting after them with the thought, if I get the chance, I will. That's very different. That's what he was talking about. So every man in here say, praise God. And you women can say it too. Don't look so holy at me. Now, <laughs> covetousness. What's covetousness? Lusting for a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best for us. It's always wanting something else. Never have enough. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when I preached on contentment in the Sunday morning service. Now, all these emotions and urges war against the child of God from time to time. We have not yet received our perfect, undying, and sinless spiritual bodies. Don't have them yet. The old Adamic nature seizes every opportunity to express itself, taking advantage of those moments when we fail to reckon it dead. I guarantee you, any time on any given day, tomorrow you're going to have more than one chance to say, I'm dead. 
I'm crucified with Christ. This is why Peter wrote these words, 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. Do battle against your soul. Abstain means hold yourself off from, keep yourself away from. Paul goes a step further and says, kill the impulse by applying God's truth. I am dead to sin, but alive to God. The word mortify means give to death, therefore. Give to death, therefore, these things. It comes from the Greek word that means to make dead. Now, the Holy Spirit demands that we actively appropriate the fact that we died with Christ to deprive the old nature of its efforts to use our living bodies as the instruments of its own expression. So Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What does he say? For you to ever know the will of God, you've got to give your body up to Him. And say, I'm crucified with Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to use my body now, not the old man. In other words, when the old man rears his head in an attempt to use your body as his instrument, reckon him dead. Say with Paul, read it with me, I have been crucified with Christ. Now next, Paul warns of coming judgment for the very things the old man revels in. Uh, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, he writes these words. Because of these things, the things we just went over, that list, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, the lost, in which you yourselves once walked when you did live in them. But that was then. This is now. The kind of behavior Paul just described, illicit sex, lustful living, depraved passion, wicked desires, the worship of money, are what one would expect from the lost. But the redeemed have been delivered from this kind of behavior positionally by the cross positionally by the cross what is your positional what is positional truth it is what god tells you and me he did with us through jesus christ and by the death of christ and the resurrection of christ positional truth is i'm right now seated in heavenly places in christ though i'm here with you now positionally i'm already in heaven god's just waiting time to catch up with that but it's done in God's eyes, okay? That's positional truth. But experiential truth is what I'm experiencing right now on earth. I'm here with you. But God sees me in Christ in heaven. Positional, experiential. Positional, practical. Now what he wants you and I to do is take the positional truth, you are crucified with Christ, and apply it by faith to our practical life. You have, some of you have never heard this, and that's sad, because we ought to hear this all the time. Positionally, I'm in Christ. Positionally, I'm dead. Positionally, I'm resurrected. Positionally, I'm in heaven. Positionally, I'm more than a conqueror. Now, now, 
then practically I am to take my faith and say, it's mine right here on earth. It's mine. The redeemed have been delivered from this kind of behavior positionally by the cross, and we are delivered from it practically when we claim our birthright as believers to live on resurrection ground. Paul goes on to say that the lost are subject to the wrath of God. The word he uses for wrath means hot anger, thumos. Hot anger. Even though our generation has grown totally permissive concerning sin, let me assure you, God has not. Sin causes God's anger to burn hot. And our culture would say to us, well, God's a God of love, and God's not going to judge, and they don't understand God when they say that. Because God is a God of love, but he's also a God of holiness. And church, I assure you, a sin never happens in God's universe, but it's got to be dealt with somehow, somewhere. And if it's not dealt with on the cross, then it's dealt with in his judgment. The wise understand that God has various ways of dealing with sin. If you're wise, you get this. He deals with sin in this life often by sovereignly overruling a person's circumstances, and he brings his hand of rebuke and judgment into their life. Look around you. Our country is under judgment. Our country is not under an abundant blessing right now. It's under judgment primarily. It's got a lot of believers in it, but as a whole, do you see blessing? Insurmountable debt, oppression, persecution against the faith. <clears throat> it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. There's somebody's phone. Now, God judges sin. From time to time, he asks, somebody answer that phone. <laughs> Whose phone is that? There we go. All right. Because it's going to go on the tape, so I'm going to wait for you. Now, from time to time, he acts against whole nations. Now, please believe me when I tell you. Bringing about their overthrow. God can overthrow a nation at the blink of an eye. And then he sits in catastrophic judgment sometimes. Bringing about a holocaust as when he overthrew the antediluvian world, that is, those in the days of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? God acts in catastrophic judgment, and he can do that. Why can he do that? Because he's God, and we're not. I get concerned about America, I got to tell you. It just seems like we are almost determined to excite the wrath of God. And you do not push God. You just don't. You don't flaunt your sin in his face and dare him to do something about it. But that seems to be what America has decided to do. But I assure you, God will judge it. As surely as we're sitting in this place tonight, God will and is judging it and will judge it. He'll act in judgment in the terrible events described in the book of Revelation. And he's going to act in judgment in eternity at the judgment of the great white throne. Those who died in their sins shall be judged on that day, and nobody will be exempt from it. So Paul says, you used to live in those things that bring the wrath of God. 
but no more. Now, more than anything else, Paul wants the Christian to understand what God did for him on the cross, for us on the cross. God has his part. We have our part. Now, let me just summarize this. Say this with me. God's part? You are dead. Our part? Accept it by mortifying your members. God's part? Truth revealed. What is the truth? Our part? Truth realized. Mortify, therefore, your members. One more time. God's part? The eternal fact. You are dead. Our part? The daily act. Mortify, therefore, your members. Then Paul instructs the Christian to put off some things. And he's going to start using language, the same language you, you would use to get dressed or undressed. So he says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Well, there is another list. He says, don't lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now here's what he's saying. The old man's rags or clothing, his stained and tattered clothing, are his habits. The dictionary defines a habit as a behavior pattern acquired by frequent repetition. You didn't become a smoker till you did it more than once. First time you took a hit off that cigarette, it felt like you dropped a brick down into your lungs, but you persevered. And then you became a true smoker. Same thing with drinking. First sip off alcohol you ever took, you thought you drank castor oil, but you persevered until you acquired a taste for it. And on and on with any sin, repetition got us hooked, didn't it? Now, it can also mean clothing, that is habit. Habit can mean clothing. For instance, a riding habit is clothing somebody wears when they're horseback riding. They have on their riding habit, their clothes they use for riding. Now, so we can legitimately think this way of the old man's habits, his habitual bad behavior as his clothes. He wears these evil habits as the characteristic clothing of his fallen nature. Paul says, put off the old man's rags. Take them off and lay them down never to pick them up again. You got that old tattered jacket of drugging all the time. When you get saved, you take that thing off and you put it down and you never pick it up again. You know what the habits are that grab a hold of lost people who walk in the flesh. He said, when you get saved, take off that old rag and put it down. The habit. And don't ever pick it up again. There it is. And there it shall stay. It should. Now, this is positional truth. We must deliberately shed the evil habits we acquire from our Adamic nature. Now, here's a fact. Please get this. Not one of us was born with an evil habit. You know, I drink because my granddaddy drank, my daddy drank, my great-great-granddaddy, so it just kind of came down me through the lineage. Baloney. That's a cop-out. And that ought to be good news to you. You're drinking because you started drinking. And granddaddy wasn't there to give it to you. You did it all on your own. And now, he says, we have put on 
every evil habit we've got, we put it on. We're the ones that put it on. We picked up that old rag, and we put it on, and we got that habit, and we began to walk in it. Paul goes on to elaborate on some of these old rags. Let's look at a few of them. Anger. This is talking about the habitual anger, the settled, simmering, seething underneath the surface anger that makes some people so hard to live with and to work with and makes them lash out at everybody that offends them. You know the kind of person I'm talking about. You're afraid to get around them because they may go off on you. It includes within its scope the deliberate planning of revenge. What does he say? Now that you're born again, put it off. Take it off. Well, Pastor, I need to be delivered of a demon. No, you don't. Y'all are looking at me like, wow. I don't have any toes left tonight. Listen, I'm telling you the truth. You don't have a demon. You have a habit. I'm sorry to pop some of your bubbles that wish you had a demon instead. But you can't blame it on a demon. The devil's not making you do it. It's a habit. And by the power of God, under the resurrection power, being a resurrected person, you lay it down. Now, then he says wrath. What's the difference between anger and wrath? Wrath is the combustible kind of anger that explodes and blazes all of a sudden. It's not simmering underneath all the time where you're just kind of fundamentally an angry person walking around with a chip on your shoulder. But this is the boiling up of hot temper that erupts in sudden violent rage when something triggers you. He says, that's not of God. Lay it down. Lay that habit down. It's an old rag. Malice. Malice is the fostering of ill will. It suggests the desire to injure another person. The person who wears this rag from the old man nurses grudges against other people. I mean, you can, you can offend this person and then 10 years later run into them and they're still mad at you. They haven't gotten over it. They're nursing that grudge all the days of their life. God did not save us to carry a grudge. He saved us to carry a cross. Listen to that now. Lay it down. Blasphemy. Well, that's easy. This word means to defame. It carries the idea of slandering somebody else, uh, speaking out to tear down their reputation, to injure their good name. And i got to tell you, Christians engage in this all the time. You get mad at somebody, you get on Facebook, That's why I'm not on Facebook. Now I'm really going to meddle. Now you're going to regret you came tonight. But you get on Facebook, and, and of course you're a Christian, so you're going to put a halo over your head, and you're going to do it in the name of the Lord, but you're going to go on Facebook and tell the whole world about this person, how bad they are, terrible they are, what they've done. And then you say at the end, pray for them. That's not why you did that. You did that to slander their character and tear them down. And you know what? God sees it. Now, filthy communication, that's easy. Foul speaking, obscene speech, telling smutty stories. Don't do that. Don't tell a smutty story. Now, telling of lies, the Christian's not to lie. We've got the spirit of truth in us. To lie is to be like Satan, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Now, why should we put off these rags from our former life? Because you have put off the old man with his evil ways. You are dead. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
and you are a resurrected person, that's why you should put these things off like you would lay down an old, tattered, stinky coat. Now we're getting towards the end here. Next, Paul will stick with the getting addressed analogy. We're going to look at this next week. In the same way, we're to put off the rags from our former life. We're to put on the new man, the new clothes of our resurrected life. Read verse 10 with me. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Can you stand with me tonight? Now say something with me. Put off. Put on. Now, most people look at their Christian life this way. Well, when something just washes all over me and I just have some powerful spiritual experience that revolutionizes my life, those things will just kind of fall off. But no, look, he says, by faith, put them off. Take them off. Lay them down. Say, well, you know, when he really baptizes me in love, then I'll walk in love. No, he says, put on. Wrap yourself in, on purpose, Jesus. That's the clothes, the clothes of the new man. How many of you are thankful that you're dead with him? Amen. And you are resurrected with him? Amen. We are resurrected. So let's go around tonight and tomorrow like resurrected people, okay? Father, thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, the incredible blessing. You have made us new by the power of the living God. Now as we're closing tonight, I want you to think, is there something in my life that by faith I just need to put it off? lay it down and walk in the positional truth that God has resurrected me and I'm a new person and make that make that truth of God that positional truth practical and walk in it if that's you tonight as we worship for just a moment just give the Holy Spirit a chance. I want you to say tonight, Lord, I'm going to lay it down. I'm just going to put it off and I'm going to lay it down. It's tattered. It's stained. It's of the old man. Do it right now.